The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, AFC South Draft Recap Edition. The one time a year, well, not the one time, one of a few times a year that I get to express all of my pain and suffering as a, a lifelong Texans fan. Um, yeah, buckle up for this one, guys. It's uh, We're going to be burying some souls on, on today's show. Uh, but I do want to welcome in my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, who's going to be uh, kind of holding my hand through this uh, torturous offseason of mine here. Uh, EJ, before we kind of get digging into all the AFC South goodness, or in my case, badness, first tell me how you're doing and what are you drinking? I'm doing okay. Uh, things going on in the world are not fantastic. Um, we acknowledge that and uh, certainly thinking about all that, but we get to talk about football. Hopefully, it's a break for some folks. Uh, I had field day today. Uh, my kids' school, uh, which, of course, is not in session. Big deal at their school is field day every year. It's kind of like the, um, you know, uh, three-legged race, Olympic-type stuff. And so they sent everybody activity sheets for home, and you got to record some of them, and you get to send them all kind of to the guy that coordinates it, and then they'll post them online. So it's kind of like a virtual field day. So I got to do some beanbag toss today. I got to do some egg race on a spoon. And uh, now I get to sit around and talk about football and and drink whiskey. So um, I have some Pendleton Midnight tonight from Hood River Distilling. Um, If you're familiar with the regular Pendleton, it's a bit of a darker sort of a little bit more caramely, smoky version of that. I like it. Uh, I think it's an upgrade and I actually like basic Pendleton. So that's saying something, but... Get to talk about the AFC South, which I know for you is difficult, but we've already gone through my pain in the NFC North, so now we can transition to your pain in the AFC South. But there's a lot to talk about in this division in terms of who people got, um, how they fit with the system, what teams are trying to do to build. Um, but what are you going to drink? Because I am I can't wait for this answer since we're talking about the Texans today. Yeah, uh I, I wanted to have no memory of this podcast by the time I'm done recording it, so I'm just doing Casadores Blanco straight. Oh, uh, nice! Yeah, I'm just I'm hitting it with tequila tonight, boys, because 
All right, it's bad enough that Houston itself has had a pretty rough offseason. I think we can all agree with that. But seeing the drafts that some of the other AFC South teams have put together, that's enough to put me over the edge. Uh, it's It was rough, especially the Colts, the, the hated Indianapolis Colts for myself. I, I And it's I like the, the Colts coaching staff. I like their players. I like their front office. As players and people, I enjoy them very much. But God, do I hate the Colts so much <laughs> and they freaking murdered this draft and every single pick that was rolling in i was just like oh, okay cool yeah of course i'm gonna deal with that for the next 10 years cool michael Pittman, jonathan taylor yeah all right that would happen to me cool so it's it's uh it, it was a rough it was a rough draft weekend for me uh specifically as a texans fan but why don't we why don't we lead off with the colts just because i think they had a really really good class specifically at the top um uh, I'll just kind of roll through pick by pick, and and then we'll we'll kind of hit them one by one. Uh, round two, they had a, a pair of round two picks at the top of the second round. Absolutely killed it, going Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor back to back. That's not even including spending their first round pick on DeForest Buckner if we include him in the draft, which I think we, we should kind of have to. So, you know, a top trio of DeForest Buckner, one of the best interior defensive linemen in the whole league. Uh, well worth the $20-plus million contract they signed him to. Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor as a top three. Good Lord. And then you yeah. come back in, in round three, Justin Blackman. Round four, Jacob Eason to be their developmental uh, quarterback uh, behind Phillip and Jacoby. Round five, Danny Pinner. Uh, round six, Robert Windsor, defensive tackle for Penn State. Uh, actually, they had four six-round picks. So then after Windsor, they had a pick from the Jets and then two picks from the Patriots that they got via trade. They took Isaiah Rogers, the corner from UMass, Desmond Patman, the wide receiver from Wazoo, and then Jordan Glasgow, the youngest Glasgow brother of three in the NFL, the safety from Michigan, who was a linebacker. They have him listed as a safety. He'll, I guess he'll be kind of like a hybrid player. But uh, yeah, man, hell of a class by them, particularly at the top. I feel like they were more top-heavy. Um, but even if their first three picks if that's all they get out of it is Buckner Pittman and Taylor that by itself I think is a hell of a haul for them yeah Pittman is a huge upgrade for this team the wide receiver core was just crying out for an upgrade um quick trivia question uh name the leading receiver in terms of yards for the Colt last Colts last year and hint it's not T.Y. Hilton because he was injured um played through a bunch of injury missed a couple of games well more than a couple of games um, yeah, I would bet most listeners, sans Colts fans, could not name the Colts leading receiver last year. Bonus points if you know how many yards he had. Uh, it was Zach Pascal, and he had 607. That was their leading receiver on the team, and T.Y. Hilton had 501. So between the two of them, 1,108 yards, that's a decent year for one wide receiver, um, so Michael Pittman waltzes into a situation. We sang Pittman's praises. I believe he was on our offensive 10 gems, um, podcast before the draft. We saw him at the senior bowl. He's got great size, really good hands, destroyed people at the senior bowl with routes, um, was very physical. Uh, if you want to see an absolute Superman film, watch him against Utah. Oh God. Yeah. He killed wrecked him. them, showed you the potential. So if you're looking for his sort of best film, 
that's it. But he pretty much waltzes into a starting position with the Colts. There's nobody on the Colts roster, including Zach Pascal, that can hold a candle to Pittman. So he's pretty much penciled for one of their two starting wide receivers. If Hilton's healthy, obviously, he's he's probably the number one. Didn't um, Utah have three guys drafted from their secondary in the first three rounds? Uh, yeah, if, and the fourth. Correctly. Yeah, and the fourth is also in the league as well. So that Utah secondary was was very capable, and desired certainly by the NFL. But Pittman ripped them with I would call it average quarterbacking. It was not great quarterbacking, but he had a fantastic game. And then you had Jonathan Taylor to that. Um, look out! Like Taylor is a superhero. He's very very good size. We saw him run at the combine, and anybody who had not watched his games when he was in college said, wow, he's really fast. <laughs> he's a sprint champion. Yeah. Like he's a huge dude. He reminds me a little bit of Herschel, not in his running style, not in how physical I he is or that. anything else, yeah. but he is a big guy who is well-built, who is fast. And I mean, fast, fast. And he's got pretty good vision. Um, he rounds out the room. We talk about building a stable of running backs and Taylor gives Indy another very good back. I was a huge Marlon Mack fan uh, pre-draft. He went to the Colts. He's had a couple of good years. Naheem Hines is a great change of pace guy, really fast. We used to call him third down backs, but a lot of times now they're first down backs, pass catcher, scat back. And then Bruce Anderson was a guy out of North Dakota State who I really liked as a sort of late round developmental guy. And they've already got those three guys in the running back room. You had Jonathan Taylor, who's like a superstar. Your offense looks a lot different with Pittman and Taylor in it. You know, it's it's kind of funny because Jonathan Taylor wore 23 because his favorite running back ever was the great Arian Foster, one of my favorite players and human beings, period. Um, and you can kind of see, like, in terms of his stride, it's, it's a very glidey, you know, open gate. Like it's, it's a track star kind of stride where it's just very smooth and fluid. And that's part of the reason why I think people didn't think his, he was as fast as he was because he looks like he's just gliding down the field like Arian did. And I my, my comp to him sometime around November, I think I tweeted it out, was he's, he's Arian Foster with rockets strapped to his feet. And if you're getting even 90% of Arian Foster out of Jonathan Taylor, that is a pick well spent. I think he could, uh, if he doesn't displace Marlon Mack this year, I think at least he's going to get a 50-50 split and probably, I think, be more efficient with those touches than Mack, too, on way to probably taking over the full, um, uh, you know, lion's share of carries in 2021. I think they have a franchise, you know, starting Pro Bowl, potentially all-pro you know, if things break his way, caliber of running back they're getting here at 41 overall. And you have five years of contract control on him when he's going to be dirt cheap. So I think you you really just ride him as much as you possibly can over the next five years because I think he's going to be really, really damn good. And again, you know, Pittman and him growing up together in this offense, um, you know, we'll see what they do at quarterback after Phil retires. But man, that's a hell of a duo to start out with. Yeah, he's got a great line in front of him, too. I mean, he's probably got the best guard in football uh, in Quentin, and he's got a great center in Ryan, and he's got a lot of guys. And he's got a you know a coach who understands how the running game and the passing game work, and yeah. you've just got weapons now where you can go. You know, if you audible out a pass and go to run, you're not 
handicapping yourself and vice versa. If you go back to the past, you've got enough weapons now. Um, I still think it's a little bit maybe run heavier in terms of favor of talent, but you can pretty much put up points with whatever you call. And that's a lot of offensive balance to pull in the first, basically two rounds, really all in the second round for the Colts. Um, I, I know we kind of mentioned him a little bit uh, before, but in a vacuum, what did you think of the Julian Blackman pick? And I, I do want to apologize for accidentally saying Justin before I meant Julian Blackman. Uh, talking about the AFC South, I do have Justin Blackman on my mind, I guess, who's technically, I think, still on the Jaguars roster, believe it or not. But anyway, back to Julian Blackman. Um, I, I think he was probably, at least for me, more of a fourth round guy than a third round guy. Like, I'm not going to quibble too much about him going late in the third or actually not probably about mid third like it's not the worst thing in the world to me um it might have been a hair early but what did you specifically think of that value would you have taken him in the third or would you personally have waited a little bit longer it really depends on what the Colts coaches saw and if they watched his 2018 tape which I'm sure they did versus his 2019 tape it was a steal. They were probably sitting on their hands going, pick him, pick him, pick him, pick him. Because his 2018 tape was really, really good. He he slacked off a little bit in 19. He still wasn't bad. Um, he got outshone a little bit by his teammates, but his 2018 tape showed what he's capable of. And if they believe they could get that level of play out of him, third round is a value. If you believe 2019 is kind of his true value or setting point in the league, eh, Maybe it was, like you said, half round early, but I'm never going to say, oh, it was a half round early because teams' valuations are so different than ours. But I think his path to playing time in Indianapolis is really good. I think he could start the first game in the strong safety spot. Again, we're going to talk about the modified offseason or the um, invisible offseason if that's going to be the case. But Gary Willis is the only guy in his way. I think Blackman, if he plays anywhere near his 2018 level, is easily that talented, um, possibly more. And if Hooker can stay healthy and can stay on the Colts, <laughs> they could form a really good duo. And I think that would set them up pretty well in the secondary uh, in a division that, let's face it, is pass heavy. Um, that's not a bad start. So I thought it was a solid pick. Uh, they obviously believe that he can reach those 2018 heights, um, picking him that high, but um, not a bad value either. So I kind of felt like, so even though he is you know a 4-4 kind of guy, on the watch I didn't feel like he played that fast but if the Colts kind of insist on you know really finding safeties that are comfortable in two high shells um, you know there, there's been talk that they feel like Malik is really more of a fit as like a pure center fielder for a team that wants to play cover one and cover three all day whereas they want maybe somebody's a little bit more versatile that can play in too high and come down and you know play the run from deep while also bracketing deep and just kind of being a little bit more versatile in that way um even though I think Hooker is a, a tremendous center fielder again he's not the most versatile safety in the world so I think from that standpoint maybe he fits a little bit better than Malik because he he doesn't have the highs of Hooker but I think he's a little bit more even keel than Hooker in terms of versatility. So I, I, I can see it from that standpoint of trying to find a safety that fits in that way. Again, I think they could have gotten him around later, but I, I guess they just disagreed. What they did do was around later in the fourth, they did pick up Jacob Eason, who I think was also another, uh, dare I say, riskier pick. 
uh, on their part because you know the highs and the lows of Eason are very far apart. Highly inconsistent quarterback. He's not going to start this year. I hope he doesn't start this year, and he probably won't even start <laughs> next year either. I think this is really kind of a draft pick of like, hey, we'll see where he's at in 2022, and if he doesn't work out, who cares? It's a day two pick or day three pick. Um, but I I do think this was definitely a huge risk for them. Um, I'm not quite sure if I'm in love with it. Like I can see why they did it, but oof, man, I, I think fourth was maybe a little bit rich for me for Eason. I think it was in terms of Eason's pure value, but if they are looking at the highs and thinking they can coach it out of him and come on, the head coach is a former quarterback. Almost everybody in the NFL thinks they can fix guys like this. Yeah. Um, Eason is a local for me. He played right up the road at UW. His highs are extremely high. I have seen him throw footballs literally as hard as I've ever seen anyone throw a football in my life and that includes the Brett Favre's of the world that includes the Mike Vicks of the world Eason can throw it on a line never reaching more than probably pff, about 15 18 feet off the ground 40 yards and what hit was a guy that in game the where he was rolling to his left and hit that touchdown in the back left corner oh the one I sent up. you that the one yeah where he hit the that guy was... in the back left corner and I was like oh. when he lets the ball go you're like what is he doing there's no way and it just warps into the receiver's hands and you're like holy crap like I I didn't think that was possible like I didn't think you could do that with a football right but Eason does that and that's the lure of Eason right is that occasionally well not occasionally I would say about 30 or 40 percent of the time he uncorks those things, and you go, holy crap. And he didn't yep. get a whole lot of help from the UW receiving core. They had quite a few drops. They weren't a terribly talented unit this year. Um, I think people can look at Eason and say he's got great size. He's got okay pocket mobility. He's not a really take-off-and-run guy. He's a good athlete. Um, but really, you're drafting Eason for the arm and saying, hey, I think I can make the decisions a little bit better. I think I can make the vision a little bit better. And honestly, I think he lands in one of the three or four best spots that he could have in the NFL. Is it a round early? I think it is. But regardless, Frank's going to do a very solid job getting him tuned up, rounding off some of the rough edges. How high he can go, we'll see. That's really up to Eason. But he has a cannon and very good size. He's 6'4", 6'5". If he can vary his touch just a little bit, that would be a huge win for 2020. (laughs) Right. If he can yeah. learn to take a little bit off, because even some balls over the middle, guys eight yards away, and he's just like, bam, you know, you, you, yeah, easy, and just <laughs> ease off on the throttle a little bit. If he can do that for 2020 and get to his second read consistently and not just sort of twitch to it and throw into double coverage, which you dub fans will attest that happens at least a couple of times a game. Um, you know, we'll see if he's a good value down the road. Even if he's just an average backup, even if he's a traditional sort of clipboard holder that comes in for two or three games a year and throws some bombs to Michael Pittman, like, you know, that's probably good enough for, like you said, a day three pick. He's an easy guy to sell to a coach that's a former quarterback because yep. all you have to do, <laughs> you literally only have to show him that one play, uh, the, the touchdown in the back left pylon that I can't remember who was against. I think it was Oregon. And it was literally the best throw I saw any quarterback make in college. 
ever, like, or not ever, but like of that whole season. Um, that was the best quarterback that any college quarterback made in all of 2019. I'm including Joe Burrow to like all of them. That was the best throw. It was now he's got a better insane. arm than Burrow or Tua, like by he's far. He's got a better arm than Herbert, even. And Herbert, like Herbert gun. has, I think Herbert has a more consistent arm and can vary his touch and delivery angle a little bit. But if you want to talk about pure throw it through the wall, Eason blows those guys out of the water. Like Eason has a howitzer attached. It's it's he's it's got him a, and Josh Allen are like the only two. Yeah, that no, I, he's got a gun. Like, and that's the thing is if you believe that you can focus in the targeting mechanism on Eason, you got a guy that's near unstoppable because you can't cover tight enough. You could be, you know, half a yard off 30 yards downfield. And if he lets it go and gets it in the window, he can get it in the window. I mean, that's, that's the lure of Eason. Yeah. There's, there's worse ways to spend a fourth rounder. Um, What did you think of Danny Penner from Ball State? They, They spent a fifth rounder on. Okay, I'm going to hurt one of my colleagues at Windy City Gridiron a lot here very deeply uh, and say I did not watch Danny Pinner. <laughs> how uh, dare you? I know. How dare me? Um, no, I, I didn't watch Danny Pinner, so I don't have an opinion. I will always tell you guys and gals when I do not watch somebody, um, I, I have zero opinion on Danny Pinner. Um, I did not go back and watch him either. I did go back and watch a couple of the lower round corners and wide receivers. I know, again, how dare I? My offensive former offensive line colleagues at Windy City Gridiron are throwing you know virtual tomatoes at me right now, but that's all right. It's okay. Um, I didn't watch him either. It's Ball State. Yeah, I know. I know. It's okay. Danny, we love you. We hope you turn into a good one. Look, you can hang out behind Quentin Nelson and probably learn more than we could ever teach you. So go to it. Um, You know, (laughs) that's fine. But Windsor, a lot of people late in the process said, hey, this Robert Windsor guy, he, you know, I think he might, I think there might be something there. Um, A lot of my draft colleagues got excited about him. So I went and watched him fairly late in the process. And I didn't see it. He was one of those guys that I went through the tape and I thought, yeah, he makes the occasional play. But if you go through tape, not highlights, um, of which there weren't a ton, but if you go through tape, not highlights, he takes up a bunch of space. um, But he really struck me as sort of that true to the Colts type of rotational guys on the D-line, big framed, powerful, not tremendously athletic in terms of uh, very flexible, um, very agile, great change of direction. This is this is a guy that's going to stand in there, uses frame, uses power um, and kind of I, I hate to say it, but take up space. Right. He's going to he's going to get a gap and a half just because he's a big dude that's hard to move. Um, he does have the occasional highlight. They are few and far between. If the Colts can coax more out of him, they got something there. But he was a guy that I wanted to get excited about as kind of that late round defensive line steal. After I watched him, I was like, I, I don't think that's happening. I hope he proves me wrong. Yeah, I I, I watched him in the Minnesota game, um, and I thought he actually played, played pretty well. Um, some people were... I don't want to say some people. There were a few people on my timeline that says, why would you take Raekwon Davis when, you know, you could take Windsor? And (laughs) it's not the same thing. Yeah. Trust me. It's not the same player. It's not the same thing. Um, There's a reason he went in the fifth. I feel like he doesn't get off blocks as well as he should for a guy with his frame. Nope. Um, You're really drafting him for frame and potential. 
Uh, I think he's weirdly enough like a, a better one gap player than a two gap player right now, which is curious because I kind of felt like Indy would be prioritizing more two gappers to play inside. So I am curious to see how they're going to use him, but he's not, he's not Rick one Davis. Like he's, let's nope. just, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, yeah. I think he's okay. And again, for a fifth round pick, if he doesn't work out, who cares? I think you're really just taking him for upside because of uh, the first step and because of his frame. And you think that maybe he can kind of be a diamond in the rough if you have a good coaching staff that can mold him. But uh, I wasn't quite on the whole like Robert Windsor uh, late day two, early day three train that some people no. on. I, I, I didn't quite see that. Um, now, I did not watch Isaiah Rogers, the corner from UMass. Uh, again, you know, I can only watch so many players. I couldn't get around to Ball State. I couldn't get around to UMass. Uh, did you happen to catch him at all? I did not catch him pre-draft, but for this very podcast, I went back. I had about four or five guys uh, in the AFC South that I did not watch that I wanted to. Rodgers was one of those guys. Um, he's undersized, uh, but he's got really good instincts and short area burst. I think he'd probably be a backup nickel to start. He's got a real shot on special teams because he was a very good returner at UMass. Uh, and I think he can kind of sit behind T.Y. Hilton and you wait, T.Y. Hilton's a receiver and he's a defensive back. I know, but T.Y. Hilton has some return skills and they're going to get in the special teams room and he's T.Y. is going to look at Rodgers and go, yeah, you got some of that, man. Um, good vision in the return game and a nose for the end zone. He really, there's a couple of returns from his UMass tape where he just kind of wills it to happen. He ends up, you know, turning a couple of guys around with jukes and jab steps and just, you know, jumps over another guy. He, he's not a guy to give up on the return game. He also is a really good hitter in special teams, like as a gunner. Uh, there's a play against Army where he goes down and you'll see it in any of his highlights. He goes down and just whacks the returner, takes him off his feet. So he's hard-nosed both ways in the return game, and he's got good speed in the fact that when he opens it up, he doesn't have a lot of burst to get there. It's not the acceleration, but when he opens it up, he starts to outrun people. So he's got good long speed, but not necessarily great short speed, if that makes sense. Um, But the fact that he's valuable on special teams and can back somebody up in sort of the nickel package makes him valuable enough that that's what you're looking for when you're picking guys uh, down Mm -hmm. in the draft is a little bit of versatility. So I think he's got a decent chance to stick on the roster because he can do two or three things. Yeah, I mean, anybody with special teams versatility, again, it's a day three pick, so that's kind of what you're hoping for. Uh, I kind of had the same feelings with Desmond Patman. Again, um, you know, huge, like 6'4", 220, 225, somewhere around in that range. Like, even if... Uh, he doesn't develop well as a wide receiver. Just getting someone with that kind of size and speed on your coverage teams, you know, your 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 punt block teams, like anybody with length and explosiveness that that a special teams coordinator can use, uh, that's a valuable thing. So uh, again, uh, day three picks, you're looking for athletes a lot of the times yeah. that you can just throw on the field in, in your in your coverage teams. Um, and and I'm super excited about Patman though. I stand for Patman pretty hard before the draft. He is a somewhat local guy out of Wazoo, but he's huge. Like you said, 6'4", 225. He put up 762 yards, eight touchdowns. He's one of the main targets at Wazoo. Over 13 yards a catch in a pretty varied attack. Spread, you know, Mike Leach attack. 
I think in any other year, that's kind of a guaranteed third, fourth round pick, right? They look at the size, they look at the production and go, yeah. But this year, we talked about it, loaded wide receiver draft, sixth, right? And we also talked about the Colts wide receiver room. Like, there's nobody with those skills sitting there besides Pittman, who they just drafted. I think Patman's got a really good chance to be the sort of, I don't want to say fourth necessarily, because Chaz Pasquale earned it last year, but I'd say fifth wide receiver. Like, if you're bringing out four wides and you want to go big towards the red zone, Patman can do that, like, right now. And there's nobody standing in his way on the indie wide receiver roster to do that. So I was really excited to see he ended up here. Great path to playing time. And I think he's just a lot better than a lot of people think. Lewis Riddick backed me up on this one and actually, you know, put something out very similar about a month after I did that said, Hey, I don't think this guy's getting enough love. You know, if you're looking at Anthony Gordon highlights, like this is the guy that's catching a lot of those balls and he's right. Yeah, I mean, he's 6'4", 225, and runs 4'4", which by itself is just really, really damn hard to find. I think specifically, maybe he's not super developed as a route runner, especially when compared to Pittman and obviously compared to T.Y. He's one of the better route runners in the league. Um, But that kind of size and speed, when you get him going, like even if you just get him involved on like mesh plays where you're setting a pick for him on mesh and you say okay just go run like he can do that like you mentioned again he has the size and frame and explosiveness to be an effective red zone weapon um do i expect him to go out there and start roasting man coverage uh with route running no but i think if you scheme at least early in his career if you scheme that kind of athlete open uh he can almost play kind of like a a, a weird Eric Ebron type role for them, you know, where Eric he Ebron was like, could. you could you run know, him out of the slot on little crosses, throw to the yeah, boundary. That's what, that's what they did. Have for him Ebron. go up. Yeah. Have him go up one-on-one win those yeah. balls. Like he has those skills. So he's not going to, you're right. He's not just going to win one-on-one coverage or route running, but if you throw a back shoulder to a guy at six four two twenty five and knows how to go up and get it, like he's going to have production. Yeah, we just need Phil to actually get it to him because Phil struggled with doing that last year. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Don't don't throw don't throw cold water on it quite yet. Colts fans should get excited about Des Patman. Yeah, I I again he'll probably make the roster just because of the the state the receiving really core is in. I'd be really stunned if he doesn't. Like I yeah. I really think he's a lot better player than his draft slot pick. Um, now I I watched a lot of Michigan defense, but I did not pay a whole lot of attention to Jordan Glasgow. Uh, I think I watched one game of his, which was Ohio State, uh, which, honestly, who on defense ever looks good against Ohio State? <laughs> uh, so it, I, I didn't really feel compelled to watch more beyond that. Um, did you happen to examine him more than just the one game? Like, I felt like, again, they're listing him at safety, even though he, he kind of played like a hybrid kind of linebacker. He played some DB, he played some linebacker for them. Um, I don't really see him playing deep at all like if anything I would I would really kind of make him a full-time linebacker uh and keep him within 10 yards of line of scrimmage I don't necessarily think he had the movement skills to play safety full-time in the NFL regardless of what he's listed at I I think he's going to be a linebacker the next level a a lighter linebacker but a linebacker nonetheless Uh, do you have kind of have the same feelings of him no I don't have any safety 
No, I, I don't have any feelings. Oh, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna hit a theme in this podcast. We're gonna do it once with Indy. We're gonna do it again with Tennessee. Um, and these you know late round safeties. I got nothing. I got nothing on the one for Tennessee either. <laughs> uh, wait, which one for Tennessee? Uh, oh, Chris the Jackson Chris Jackson for Marshall. Yeah, I, I got didn't nothing watch him either. Yeah, yeah. This is so we've most of these division by division podcasts. Um, we we've been able to hit most of these guys, but the AFC South drafted a lot of small school guys or just late round guys that we just never got to. Nope, weirdly didn't enough. look. Didn't yeah, look. there's there's a high concentration of them in these South teams, but uh, yeah, overall, you know, again, I I didn't watch Pinner, uh, I didn't watch Rogers, I only watched one game in Glasgow, but again, it's Ohio State, so take that with a grain of salt. But he didn't wow me against Ohio State. Um, I just again just didn't really see the movement skills there that. I think can play full-time safety. I do think he'll be a linebacker special team type. Um, but even just at the top of the draft with the guys that I did watch, uh, DeForest Buckner's a favorite of mine. Pittman, I love. Taylor, I love. Um, Blackman, I think, can work. Eason, if he works, great. If he doesn't work, who cares as a fourth-rounder? Just take those first five guys, uh, and, and I think that's a very successful draft regardless of if they miss on everybody else after that. Like, Patman, if he works out, would just be a cherry on top. But even if he doesn't, if they only hit on those first, like, three to five guys, they're okay. Yeah, they did fine. They added a lot of talent. Again, you gave your offense a tremendous boost with Pittman and Taylor. You gave your defense a really good boost with your first-rounder that goes for the interior defensive tackle who is look an all pro um you know just that those three picks if blackman works out to be their versatile safety whether or not hooker stays in town um and then guys like rogers or patman or maybe it's windsor or glasgow i mean we we could be wrong about those guys too like if any of those last four or five guys work out and look if eason works out to be even a capable backup great pick for a fourth rounder yeah um now let's move on to uh tennessee here because again I, another one of these draft classes that just made me tear my hair out uh as, as a texans fan i just i'll go through the picks one by one again isaiah wilson round one uh christian fulton one of my favorite corners in this class i had him as my cb3 if i remember correctly even ahead of cj henderson i had uh it was obviously a cuda at one and then A.J. Terrell at two, and then Christian Fulton at three. They got him in round two at pick 61, which blew my freaking mind to see him go that late. Uh, and then Darrington Darren, uh, Evans, excuse me, uh, in round three, one of our favorites from App State. Uh, Laurel Merchinson, who's uh, he's a little bit of an undersized uh, defensive tackle, maybe not quite the movement skills that you would expect from a guy who's 290. I think he's a little bit... A uh, little bit stiff and not quite as explosive as you hope for for a guy that size, but he, he does have some skills. So, and again, it's a fifth round pick. Who cares? Uh, and then in the seventh round, they had two guys uh, Cole McDonald, who's a favorite of yours, and Chris Jackson, who we already mentioned, uh, safety from Marshall that neither one of us watched because it's really, really tough to get Marshall all 22, full disclosure. Uh, so, let's start at the top at Isaiah Wilson. This was a, kind of a little bit of a controversial pick. Um, in terms of some people thinking that he wasn't worthy of a first-round selection. But I think when you look at his fit with Tennessee, just a big, 
hulking offensive tackle that can crush you in the run game. And again, they run so much play action that he's not really going to be exposed as much in pure pass protection where, you know, it's it's a seven-step drop or a five-step drop, and they're saying, okay, go hold up for three seconds against this guy who's teeing off on you with a speed rush. Like, he's not really going to be asked to do that, so I don't, I don't think he's... His main weakness is going to be exposed as much. Um, I think for their system, he is worth a first round pick. And again, it crushed my soul when they took him because I knew that he was a perfect fit. Um, what, did, what did you personally think of Isaiah Wilson at 29 uh, compared to the early to mid second round grade that a lot of people thought he was going to go? Well, you talked about a couple of things that I like, which is the first one you didn't talk about is the fact that there was a tackle run this year. We knew there was going to be, there was a ton of talent at offensive tackle, uh, best off ta- offensive tackle class in a while. He is massive. One of the biggest guys in the class, six, seven, three forty. He is young. Um, he's a little raw on pass pro right now. He uses his size and his strength more than technique and angles. He's going to have to pick that up. That's the nuance he's going to have to learn. Um, double moves aren't his kryptonite. He really doesn't like double moves. If he catches you on the first move, you're not going anywhere. If he bites for the first move and you get the second one in on him as a pass rusher, he can look pretty silly, but right now he just, yep. He just dominates with size, speed, strength, attitude. Look, he's a Georgia offensive lineman. They love to block down. And I think that's what Tennessee saw and really said, we can work with that. If that's what we get starting off, that's perfect. That's why Vrabel and Co. probably picked him, loved him. They dig trench fighters, right? You look at their offensive line. They like guys that fight down there. They like guys Mm -hmm. that punch. They like guys that are heavy hitters. They love all that stuff. And right now, he's a brute. Like, Wilson is a brute. He digs it. And... Tell you what, DeAndre Swift loved cutting inside of him and just blasting upfield because he knew that Wilson was going to be pushing his guy a yard or two outside the lane. So he would run off Wilson's sort of right hip and then do that one-foot jab step that Swift loves to do and just jet upfield right behind Wilson's backside because he knew he was going to clear his guy. And he got a lot of yards off that play because he just knew that there was going to be space there. And it's because Isaiah Wilson was, is a beast. Um, I imagine the Titans backs are going to love that too, right? (laughs) They're going to figure that out really quickly that, Hey, if you tell that guy, just light into your dude and, you know, push him three yards and we'll do the rest. He can do that right now. Like he doesn't need development to do that. And if they get the rest of it, it's sort of icing on the cupcake. Yeah, one of the the best ways to stop outside zone runs, which is what Tennessee does a lot. You know, they they run a lot of outside zone because that's what Derrick Henry's good at. Um, but one of the best ways to stop that is you set a really hard edge and you do not let the uh, front side tackle on that play expand the edge and kind of give the running back more space to string it out and make the linebackers flow hard to the front side so they can cut it back. If you set a hard edge and force the cutback early, guess what? The linebackers aren't going to be overflowing. They're going to be sitting right there in the cutback lane. And so 
I think when when you look at his fit, he's so strong and so massive and so long that you can't really set a hard edge against him. If you try to stack up on him, he's just going to fucking push you out of the way. Like you're you're going to be moving laterally an extra 4 to 5 yards, which then allows Derrick Henry to string it out even longer and make running backs over pursue so that he can cut it back and get upfield and you know use his size and speed and Derrick Henryness to to get an automatic five yard gain basically every time. Or if the linebackers do just kind of sit in that cutback lane, Henry has the size and speed again to you know use his trademark stiff arm, get the edge, run for 80 yards and get a touchdown basically anytime he wants to. Like that that's that's what they like to do because that's what Derrick Henry likes to do. And Isaiah Wilson just for that one play alone, you know, it's it's kind of similar to Mekhi Becton. Just for that one play, like, that's worth it. So, again, I, I, I love that fit for them. Um, and then I, I mentioned earlier round two with Christian Fulton all the way down at 61, late in round two. Uh, I do not have an explanation for why he went this late. I, I Again, he was my third-rated corner. He's smart. He's tough. Um, really good in press, uh, good zone awareness, not like as quick uh, in zone as C.J. Henderson, but I think he's very aware. He's got good eyes. Um, you know, you saw him make some really good interceptions uh, where he's kind of playing like a trap technique where, you know, he'll carry the one and then bait the throw to the number two and then go and cut it off and pick it off. Like he's he's really damn good. Um you know, even against Bama's receiving core, Ruggs got him once on a dig route. But other than that, I mean, he held up pretty well. And they were picking more on um, the other kid uh, who was a true freshman. I can't remember his name, but he was uh, phenomenal. Single, uh, Darryl, Stingley. 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 Yep. Yeah, they were picking more on him with Devontae Smith than they were on Fulton. So that, that says a lot to me. So he's a really damn good corner. And again, getting him down in, in late round two, he went after a lot of guys that I would have taken him over uh so I, I again one of the better picks any team made in round two and he's going to play there for a long time uh and then Dar- darrington evans um i mean damn if if derrick henry doesn't get extended to a long-term deal i think he's just on the franchise tag for this year you can correct me if i'm wrong maybe they extended him i, I don't think they did i think it's just franchise tag for this year but if he's not extended uh evans can step in like literally on from the word go in 2021 and, and be their new uh, bell cow running back and be phenomenally productive in that system. Again, he's another one cut zone runner. Um, he won't quite take the load of Derrick Henry. I think you really want to max him out at like 15 to 17 total touches in a game. But again, you, you miss him once and he is gone. I think he's tough inside the tackles. Um, Really, really underrated player. Perfect scheme fit. And if they lose Henry, it's okay. They got Evans. I think they're perfectly fine. Yeah, Evans is the speed guy complement to the pound side of the Titans attack. And Derrick Henry is obviously a little bit of both. He's huge, but he's got great speed as well in the straight lines. So um, Evans is more of a slasher. Um, You know, I like... Eno Benjamin's overall game better, but I'm not going to argue the choice because I think Darrington Evans fits with, again, the system we were just describing. He's kind of like DeAndre Swift light. I don't think he's quite as good, but he has that same look to the outside zone, stick that one foot in the ground, and mm-hmm. boom, get through the he line. He's a slasher. 
That's right. And so, uh, you know, about a round earlier than I probably would have picked him, but dealer's choice, right? He fits your system. They like him. He's local to them. I'm sure they saw a lot of his games in person. Uh, they're obviously very comfortable with him. Back to Fulton for a minute. Uh, he represents a really good value, like you said. Gives them a really nice triple threat. Malcolm Butler, Addery Jackson, and Fulton. And the other thing is they needed him. <laughs> they let Logan yep. Ryan go. And Ryan was crazy last year production-wise. He had 73 solo tackles and four of everything else. He had four forced fumbles and picks? He had, he had four INTs. He had four forced fumbles. He had four and a half sacks and four TFLs. Oh, huh. and just to keep the little integer thing going, he had eight QB hits, so four times two. So anyways, Logan Ryan, crazy productive for a defensive back in that system, like 75 solos, four picks, four forced fumbles, four and a half sacks, four tackles for a loss, and eight QB hits. Like that is a very active defensive back. And I know they like Addery Jackson. And honestly, Christian Fulton reminds me a little bit of Addery Jackson in his game, the sort of zone awareness, the speed to break. Um, you know, so they're going to count on Butler on one side to be really well-rounded. They're going to say Addery Jackson and Fulton fill in the other two slots and, you know, uh, go play the system. So both really good choices. We talked about Murchison a little bit in the open. Uh, he's a bit of an oxymoron. He's a productive sort of three-tech DE who's really not a great athlete. <laughs> like, he's big, yeah. but he doesn't have a ton of burst. He's not fast. Um, he, but he gets he's a little it done. Stiff. For me. Yeah, he is stiff, but he's one of those guys that's stiff but gets it done. It's odd that way. Um, I think he's a rotational guy right off. But again, we're talking about uh, they didn't have a fourth round pick, so now we drop down to the fifth round, pick 174. You know, you get a guy that is uh, tough. He plays strong. He, again, like we said, is not super nimble, uh, but he is effective. He is one of those guys that found production. Um, and those guys are always fascinating to me. We'll see what he does in Tennessee. I don't have super high hopes for him, but I bet he's a rotational guy pretty much right off. When and I then, turned him on, I yeah. was really like, when I first turned him on, I was really hoping like just based on his measurements, I was like, okay, let's see if we can get like another McTelvin, a game going here. And no, it's not. It's uh, not no, it's <laughs> no, not he doesn't have that kind of game, but he does have game, right? He, that's the thing is you look at him and he kind of lulls you to sleep. You think, oh, he's not super flashy. He's not super fast. He's not blowing guys off with power. Uh, he's not blowing around them with speed, but he still ends up in the quarterback's face a good amount. And uh, look, North Carolina state's defensive line was not, tremendously talented they were they were certainly talented but um he's one of those guys that gets it done so interesting interesting dude and if we want to talk about interesting dudes like cole mcdonald is as interesting as it gets in this draft if you're not familiar <laughs> with cole mcdonald played quarterback at hawaii yes the rainbow warriors shout out to the folks on oahu uh really fascinating two-way athleticism 6 220 so he's got great seas great size a little bit of an unconventional release, and I honestly think this is why he drops, because he throws the ball from different arm slots kind of all the time. He's got a little bit of a drop elbow, three-quarter release, um, which when you look at it, you kind of go, eh. But then you look at where the ball goes, and A, it gets there in a hurry, and B, it's on target. 
Like he had the traditional slot of or slate of Hawaii receivers, not super big, pretty quick, kind of crafty. Um, and there's like six of them and you can't remember which one's which because they all do the same thing. <laughs> and he hit all of them for a ton of touchdowns. And if you're going to throw to those guys, you got to be fairly accurate. They are not the Colin Johnsons of the world. They're not the Michael Pittman juniors of the world. They're not six, four, six, five, two twenty. They're not going to climb the ladder for you. Typically that's not Hawaii receivers. They're, you know, they run a, basically a run and shoot, um, spread lots of, lots of Smurfs that all do the same thing. And he hit all of them for a ton of touchdowns. He had huge production, 40 TDs in both of the last two seasons. That's right. Four zero plus in both of the last two seasons. So if you are a production guy, if you're an analytics person, um, McDonald was getting it done. He is a gunslinger for sure. He doesn't mind operating outside the offense when things break down, and that's going to be great for him as a young quarterback in the NFL. Things break down fairly often for those folks, and he can create outside the system. Again, he can run. He's got good speed. He's got good size. He can see over the line, and if you leave somebody open, he will whip it to them. He might do it sidearm, but he will get it there, and it will hit him in the numbers. So he can do the on-schedule thing. He can do the off-schedule thing. He's got the running element. He's a really fascinating guy to come in and kind of give them a different element at quarterback um, behind Ryan Tannehill, who has sort of resurrected his career there. Out of all the the young backups in the AFC South, I feel like if I was going to be most confident in one of them, uh, it would be Cole McDonald. Like to like actually go out there and like win a game for me, uh, I would I would have more confidence. Weirdly though, he went three three rounds later than Eason. Like if we had to throw them out there for the you know worst case scenario, Ryan Tannehill gets hurt. Um, I would have more confidence in Cole McDonald getting me a win in twenty twenty than Eason or uh, or the uh, Luton from Oregon State. Is yeah, that crazy State, to say? <laughs> I, I, no, I don't think it's crazy because he just gives you more options as a young sort of developmental guy without experience like if it breaks down he can run he's got mobility he's got good speed and he's not afraid to use it and again if the on schedule play is there even if you're sort of limiting it to half field reads and he's going one two and out he can do that if the play breaks down and he gets center pressure from a guy like blacklock you know in houston uh he can roll out and play off schedule on the outside on the rollout bootleg like he's got all those abilities and until he develops into a more sort of uh familiar with the offense uh developed full field you know multiple read quarterback he's got all the things that can help him survive so i don't think it's nuts um and he's exciting like go watch some Cole McDonald tape like this is an exciting kid right he He's got a good arm. He's uh, he's pretty mellow. He's um, yeah. He's just a fascinating player to watch. So I don't think it's nuts. Yeah, hundred percent. He's a he's a popcorn quarterback for sure. So oh, yes. overall, overall, I think uh, Tennessee's class it was not very big, but I think they got at minimum two immediate starters out of it. Um, potentially a future. I don't want to say a star, but I think in that system, Darrington Evans, if Derrick Henry's no longer in the picture for whatever reason, he could be highly productive for them. Even in a limited role, he could be highly productive. Um, Murchison, again, he's a fifth-round pick. Um, I, I'm i curious to see how they use him. I wasn't super high on his traits, 
but I am super high on Cole McDonald's traits. So, <laughs> you know, for a seventh round pick, again, I would maybe even flip flop both of them and be totally fine with it. And then again, I mentioned I didn't watch Chris Jackson, but even though it's a small class, I think Tennessee got a bunch of solid players, some immediate starters, some potential lottery tickets that if they hit, they can hit big. So and it's uh, fit, fit, fit. And with it, them. yeah, they all fit. like Isaiah Wilson, Fulton, and Evans. Certainly, like those three right down the board. One, two, three for them are system fit, system fit, system fit. Like they they just slot into the sort of you know it's square pegs and square holes. And, you know, teams that do that put their players in the best position to succeed. And I I respect teams that both draft for what they do well. And also, I respect teams that draft against what people in their division do well. Which brings me to Jacksonville. Um, Because I don't think they did that. (laughs) <laughs> and, and <laughs> I don't think like when when you're in the AFC South, especially for this year, you kind of have to read the room a little bit. And, and if you're Come in a division, on, Doug, read the room. <laughs> oh, if man. you're in a division where Houston, uh, Indy, and Tennessee all, and I mean all of them, have a tendency to attack the edges and attack the flats, both in the run game and the pass game. Houston loves to run RPOs where they're giving it to their 6'6 and 6'7's tight ends out in the flat, and they say, okay, corners, go tackle them. You know, Tennessee loves to run outside zone and try to spring it to the edge and say, corners, go tackle them, or crack toss. Uh, Indy is going to be doing (laughs) the exact same thing with Jonathan Taylor. Why the hell... If you're in that division, are you taking the one quarter in this class that doesn't tackle? Yeah, like, I'm flashing back uh, to a conversation we had, and uh, this was a conversation on, I, I stayed at your house for about four days doing pre-draft work, and I think about on the second day, we got around to corners. I said, so, as a little bit of a litmus test, <laughs> what do you think of C.J. Henderson? <laughs> and, uh, you know, conversation ensued, and... You know, it was probably five or ten minutes in. You looked at me, you said, yeah, because I, I brought up his lack of tackling. And I thought, man, you know, the one thing I'm going to do is isolate that guy on the edge. And you looked at me and you said, first play, first game <laughs> of the season, I'm running crack toss at that guy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about, right? You're going to you're gonna make him be the only guy open you're actually going to tell the wide receiver to pull off him and go block the safety and make sure there's a seal. You're going to say, leave Henderson on the edge for Derrick Henry. Like, yep. And I don't know the schedule, but like the first game of the year when he faces somebody that does that, I guarantee the coach on the other sideline is going to line him up and be like, let's just see if he's figured it out. And if he hasn't, he's going to have a very long day. You want to see a dead body? <laughs> yeah mike vrabel versus cj oh, henderson God. there's a dead body he's vrabel's gonna rub his nose in it and if he look if he stands up and bucks up and bows up and stuffs the run on the edge they might not for the rest of the day but if he does the little patty cake thing he did in college of florida they're gonna run over him like a steamroller all day in creative ways and just grin while doing it 
And even even when he did, quote unquote, try to tackle, it was more of like, a, I'm going to throw my body in your general direction. And if you trip over me, that's OK. You know, there was no yeah. wrapping involved. Like, no, this is not a guy that sits on the edge. Um, you know, it's funny. We're going to talk about a guy that the Texans got a little bit later on that I love because he's just an aggressive physical tackler, even though he's quite a bit smaller than C.J. Henderson. Reed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am talking about Reed, so we'll talk about him in a minute. But no, Henderson is the anti-air defender. He is very, very good as a corner. His footwork is good. Um, he understands how to get his hand in the passing lane. His angles and leverage are good. Uh, his reads and his hips are pretty good. Uh, better than pretty good. Um, if he is just an sort of anti-air defender, if you're talking about this in a military sense, it's like an air-to-air fighter, right? It's not an air-to-ground fighter. I don't need him to carry bombs. Just go knock out the other fighters. And if the other fighters are wide receivers and you want them to be kept from catching balls down the field, like C.J. Henderson is a very good weapon to have. It's just that his game is not particularly well-rounded. If you ask him to do any of those other things, eh, he's really not going to do it. I saw people that said those concerns were overblown, and my answer to that is, we'll see, (laughs) right? Because you are only as strong as your weakest link out towards the edge, and he was an abominably bad tackler. He was super, super bad. So, again, don't try and pass against him because he will burn you. He's got good size, got good quickness. He understands how to use his body to get in between the receiver and the ball. He's good at all that, like very good at all that, which is why he got drafted where he did higher than I would have drafted him for sure, but I value corners that can tackle. Um, I am really interested in his fit with the head coach. Marone is famously hard-nosed, and Henderson shied away from a lot of contact on the edge, and I am just like, you said popcorn earlier, I am popcorn fascinated to see how the the Henderson-Marone marriage goes, right? Because the first time that Henderson does an Olay on the corner and the guy picks up like an extra seven yards... I can't imagine he's not going to get an earful on national TV. And if there's no fans in the stands, we're going to hear all that, which will be fascinating. <laughs> um, but look, as a player, he's very, very skilled in coverage down the boundary. He has excellent size and length. He's as talented as anyone on the current roster, and he should start right away at corner. They have a need at corner. So again, we talk about path of playing time. Henderson's path is really good. I'm just, I can't wait to see that first crack toss and see how it goes. I I kind of lump Calevon Chase on and LaVisca Chenault into the same category, even though they're very different players, obviously different positions, different sides of the ball. Um, and Calevon Chase on, I actually like a lot. Uh, he kind of reminds me of like a juiced up Kyle Van Noy, and I mean that in the most complimentary possible way. He does a lot of things really well. I think as a pass rusher, he's a little bit one-dimensional, but I think he's a good run defender. I think you can play him in coverage. He's a... Excellent on special teams, team captain, leader, hard worker, all that kind of stuff. Like, he is Bill Belichick's wet dream in terms of, like, second-level players. I just don't know how they're going to play him in Jacksonville. Like, if they're going to be using him as a full-time edge, I don't think I would do that. Um, Because, again, I think he doesn't really have any power as a pass rusher at all. I think he's all speed, all bend. And we've seen some other guys with similar pass rush skill sets like uh, Barkevius Mingo, Vic Beasley, where like if you don't have length and power to complement speed, mm, you're not going to get much done. 
So I hope they're not just playing him purely at defensive end and saying, go get the quarterback, because unless your name is Yannick Ngakwe, ironically enough, it's hard, very hard to be consistently productive with that narrow of a skill set. Like Yannick is is so far the exception, not the rule. Um, he's a very unique player. You so want to know I, what's funny? <laughs> what? They don't know either. What do you mean? They, as in, they don't know where they're going to play. Chason is the only player listed on the Jaguars website right now without a position next to his name. Really? Yes. I looked it up. Huh? <laughs> when I did my research for this, and it may have changed in the last two or three days, but Caleb on Chason was the only player on the Jags roster with the sort of null square next to his name that just it doesn't have anything. It's just blank. So we talked about this pre-draft that Chason's fit was really dependent on where are you going to play him. Like, is he that kind of extra capable strong side, like SLB linebacker? Like, we both kind of liked his fit there. Or is he more the sort of 4-3 straight wide nine edge? Like, I don't know that I love that as much because uh, we both had the same sort of reservations about his limitations. Anyways, they haven't decided yet either. So we'll see how that all shakes out and how much, how fast he plays, how much his, his again, path to playing time. I know I keep saying it, try not to get bored with it. It's actually really important in terms of landing spot. Depends a lot on Ngakwe and whether or not he stays or goes because he could still go. Um, Ngakwe's leverage is going to be really tough now that the draft is over, but it doesn't mean that he won't leave. Um, but you know, if he does, Chason gives the team another legit talent in addition to Dwayne Smoot, who played really well for them last year, to pair with Josh Allen, who had a good, strong rookie season as a rusher for them. Um, if Ngakwe finally sort of successfully blasts slash argues with the owner his way out of town, um, which he's been trying to do. So it gives them another talent. But the question is, how are they going to use him? Yeah, I really hope they keep him at strong backer. I think it'll be better for him. You and I both agree on that. Um, But I'm just not sure that they will. And that's kind of a theme with us in Jacksonville. We're not sure about uh, the second pick out of round one, Chason, the guy we're going to talk about next, LaVisca Chenault, and the guy they picked in round four, Ben Barch, who's a developmental tackle. We're not like in love with Jacksonville's staff developing talent at those positions. We're not sure. We don't have a ton of confidence that they're going to manage to take those folks without really defined roles and, and make them really good quickly. There are other staffs and you hear us talk about them. We're like, Oh no, this is the place he went to the right place. Like if there was a good place for him in the NFL, this is it. I don't feel that way about these guys. A lot of these guys that went to Jacksonville with a less defined role. I'm more, uh, let's just say, ambiguous about that. Yeah, because LaVisca, um, you know, again, similar to Kalevon, where it's like, okay, I can see what he does well. I can see what he doesn't do well. I would want him, uh, you know, obvi- anybody would look great with Andy Reid, but I would want him to be with an Andy Reid-type system where it's like, hey, we have a very creative screen game. Um, you know, we, we run tap passes. We'll, we'll give our wide receivers sweeps. You know, we'll, we'll do all this kind of crazy inventive stuff where even if you're not a super refined receiver, you know, we have ways to scheme you open. We have ways to like manufacture touches so you can use your natural gifts because Chenault is exceptional after the catch. He's a great athlete. You know, he played wildcat quarterback. Like he's, 
he's an absolute freak of nature. Um, and I think there are certain offenses where even as a rookie, even if he's not fully developed as a receiver, he could still be highly productive, um, almost like a Corderell Patterson type, um, but maybe better. Because um, Patterson, I think, really his main value is a returner and even less so as a gadget player. Like, I think Chenault can both be a returner and a gadget player, at least initially. Um, and there's certain coaches that I think can really take advantage of that. I don't necessarily think Jay Gruden's one of them. So... I don't know. Yeah, I was I was shaky on Chenault, certainly a lot more so than a lot of my draft colleagues uh, throughout the entire process. I think he's one of the dedicated scorers, not shooters, to go back to DJ and Bucky's analysis uh, for move the sticks of this wide receiver class. He's a physical, fast guy who's not great down the field in sort of go up and get it sense, but that's okay in Jacksonville because they have Chark and Conley for that. They already have those guys. So if we talk about building a stable, this pick sort of fits. He's explosive and powerful. He can turn small gaps into big gains. And strangely enough, that meshes pretty well with their starting quarterback. Like Minshew's skills as a quarterback, if you're going to kind of put him in a box, are quick and accurate balls to the slot on time. Like he can do more than that, but that's where he's really good. Like the quick read to the slot, accurate and on time. And if he gives those balls to Chenault and Chenault catches them, that's where he can turn a five-yard gap into a 70-yard gain. So it's not a terrible landing spot for him. But the good news is he doesn't have the pressure to be number one right away. And a lot of predicted draft landing spots for him had him sort of ascending to that role fairly quickly. And I was really nervous about that for him because I truly don't think that's who he is as a player. But he adds a needed dimension, mates pretty well with the QB skills. The question is, how often will they do it? How often will they give him chances in that sort of non-traditional receiver game or less traditional receiver game to really exploit and sort of showcase those skills? If they do, it could work really well. And maybe they start doing that early in the season and they get kind of addicted to it because they have a lot of success with it. Um, and it just kind of snowballs. That's the best case scenario for LaVisca Chenault. If they don't and they want to run standard like Poco, post corner, sluggo, deep in, you know, really traditional kind of route tree wide receiver routes. Eh, I don't think Chenault's going to put up a lot of production really quickly. Yeah, I, I, I hope for the best. Um, <laughs> hope for the best and prepare for the worst. You know how it works, yeah, Brett. Like you know, I'm a Texans fan, but I do want these guys to be <laughs> successful. You know, I. I just I, I wish I just wish he went somewhere else. But yeah, uh, Devon Hamilton, I at least I like that fit. Um, I love the addition of Devon Hamilton to this D line. He's one of my favorites pre-draft. He's underrated. He's really productive from multiple spots, which is great for this particular defensive line. Great athletic profile, especially for a guy that plays inside, can produce and pursue to the outside, which is. Um, we talked about guys like Raquan Davis, um, not as likely <laughs> to pursue to the outside. Devon Hamilton, again, productive in either spot. He's going to be well used. He's going to play a lot of snaps pretty quickly, I think. And he adds some more gas to the interior with Taven Bryan. Taven Bryan, the speed rusher added from Florida last year. Um, 
that gives the Jags a little more juice inside. But again, he can kick out to a five tech and be just as productive and get pressure against the quarterback. Um, somebody commented on one of our videos on YouTube uh, that pressure is better than sacks, right? Pressure is greater than sacks. And I was like, well, yeah, it is. And Devon Hamilton is one of those guys that can create a bunch of pressures. He might not create a bunch of sacks, but I thought it was a really good get. I was waiting. One of the guys in the draft, I was waiting to see where he ended up. And while it's not necessarily the best fit, it's a pretty good one. And um, his path to the field is is really good. So love Devon Hamilton. Yeah, and, and, you know, we keep saying it over and over again, path to the field. He's already better than Taven Bryan. Um, I think he's – Aubrey Jones is probably a better fit at nose, but I think he, he can probably play over Bryan immediately. Um, he could probably play over Rodney Gunter immediately. So I think it's going to be either him or Al Woods starting. And I think just considering his potential, like I would, I would probably put him day one uh, as a starter interior, which again, for a third round pick, if you're getting a day one starter, sign me up for that. Um, yeah, And if you, you rotate know. him with Brian, because they're not the same players, Brian is more of a pure penetrator. Um, that was really his claim to fame coming out in the draft was just a ton of twitch for a guy that was playing three tech. Um, so if you rotate those two guys, uh, Hamilton a little bit more well-rounded, Brian a little bit more. We talked about Darrington Evans being a slasher as a running back, like Taven Bryan is a slasher as a defensive lineman. Um, it can be very difficult for offenses to kind of keep up with that. Okay, which guy's in? What's he going to do? Okay, this guy does that. This guy does that. Um, it's a multiple look, and that's that's good for a defense. Yeah, I mean, you can never really have enough of those kind of guys. And and I, I do agree, Brian is more physically talented uh, I think has more potential as a pass rusher, but in terms of like, hey, it's third and three, and we need we need to have a guy that can actually like two gap and get off a block and make a tackle without getting you know driven four yards backwards. Like, yeah, that's to me that's going to be Devon Hamilton. So I, I I like that pick a lot in the third round. Probably one of my favorite picks they made. Period. Yep. For being honest, mm-hmm. um, Ben Barch was a big favorite of mine. Saw him down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he had a hell of a week. Uh, I think. Really, he only struggled when they asked him to switch to right tackle, which he was not used to. And it, it literally his first snap of the week at right tackle was going against Terrell Lewis, which is not whoops fair. <laughs> <laughs> not fair at all. Uh, so he kind of got ate up on that rep. But it, when he was at left, when he was at left tackle, he was, I don't, I don't think I saw him give up more than maybe two pressures the whole week against that slate of edge rushers he was going against. And, and that that might be that most. So he's he's a really, really good left tackle. Um, and fourth round was actually lower than I thought he'd go. I thought he, I thought he had a decent chance of going in the round in round three, which coming out of St. John's, you know, D3, I believe that is like that that would have been tremendous for him. But he's again, really good feet, solid hand placement. Um, I, he clearly the best player. On, on the field anytime he took the field at St. John's, which you kind of expect from an NFL player. But uh, I think he's got a real chance to be a swing tackle for them, like out the gate. Uh, I think they're set at their starting tackles, but um, you're kind of only as good as your worst link in the chain or whatever the phrase is. I butchered that. But uh, I, I think if one of their tackles goes down between Robinson and um, and then Taylor, who they drafted last year, who I was a huge fan of, uh, Juwan Taylor. Uh, if either one of them goes down, I think Barch can fill in and not really lose that much ground uh, from, from their starting tackle. So, again, for a fourth-round pick, 
that's a pretty damn good value to me. Yeah, I like Barch. I think everybody else was a lot higher on him. He's a great story for sure coming out of St. John's. And I thought he did extremely well for a guy out of St. John's. That's not saying I thought he did extremely well. I thought he got beat more than most people did. Um, but I just kept running into people in Mobile who were singing his praises. And a lot of them are smarter than me. So uh, I might be wrong about him. But I think, like you do, it's kind of um, two different ways around to get to the same conclusion. I think he's automatically their top backup at tackle. And honestly, that puts him one snap away from regular time. And again, we've talked about it on this podcast before. If you're a good swing tackle, you're not a good swing tackle for long. You're a starting tackle in this league because there is a, a dearth of tackle talent. And uh, Barch is one of those guys that is going to be one snap away. And if he gets a few games on tape as a starting tackle, I think people will be pretty surprised with what he can do. I think he needs a year to develop physically. I really do. Um, but other people are more convinced he can play right off the gun. Either way, it's a great value pick for him. And he went about where I thought he would. Again, you said he went a little behind where you thought where you thought he would. Um, I thought he was right about, I thought it was good, solid value. I, def, I definitely didn't look sideways at the pick at all and thought, hey, they got him there. That's, that's in my mind, really, really solid for them. I think um, their other fourth round pick, uh, that they got from the 49ers. Well, actually, it changed hand, changed hand a couple times, but they eventually got it from the 49ers. They took Josiah Scott, corner from Michigan, which to me, anytime I did mock drafts, like he was one of those corners that I always had in my back pocket on like day three because he was always there. And I would always kind of like lean on him of being like, okay, well, I can't get anybody else, but I did get Josiah Scott. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, if I didn't get any of the day two corners, oh, I wanted, we you know, do have I, guys like that in the mock draft season, don't we? Yeah, he ended up on like twenty percent of all my mock drafts as like my in the back pocket day three corner. So uh, I liked him a lot. Again, he's a Michigan State DB, and you can't play DB at Michigan State without being tough and without being smart. Even if he's not as physically gifted as some of the other Spartan DBs that have come out in the last five six years, um, I, I think again for a probably fourth corner on the roster or at least on most rosters you know you're looking for a guy who tackles who can play inside or out who can play special teams um and you hope that he can eventually be like a a starting caliber player but for a fourth round pick like really you're you're taking a guy where he's going to mostly see time in in dime uh and on special teams and I, i do i ever expect him to be a star no but I do think he can be a solid number two or number three for you, which is, uh, for, that's kind of all I'm really asking for from a guy like that. Yeah, he's an extremely physical, small zone corner who's a very good tackler, and I think there's always a place for those guys. I talked about how I value tackling from corners. He's got good instincts in space. That's what makes him a great zone player. Decent anticipation or break on the ball. So he's going to make plays when he's out there. And coming up off the edge to snuff out screens or swings, he's really good at that again because of his physical nature. Um, He had some injury concerns, missed about the first eight games of the torn meniscus. He doesn't have great speed. He's got good short area quickness, but he does not have great speed. The weird thing about him is he's a body catcher, but I wrote in my notes, but a good one? (laughs) (laughs) Like he made some crazy catches and he does not hands catch the football. He absolutely cradles it with his forearms, but he made this one interception leaning out of bounds where he cradled it against his chest, but he like double toe tapped with his entire body extended out over the sideline. 
And it wasn't the only one I saw where he made a good catch, but it was a body catch. It's just weird. Usually we say body catcher is a bad thing, but he's a body catcher, but a good one. Just an odd note about him. Yeah, I... Well, he's a DB, so you don't really pay him to make it look pretty as long as he gets the pick. Just saying. Uh But um, I am curious to see... Because you take C.J. Henderson, who's an excellent man corner, who can play zone, but really I think he's best values in man. And you take Josiah Scott, who I think is really a better zone corner. Yep. And I don't really think is gifted enough to play man, like, consistently. Like, he can do it. You don't want him playing a lot of man because of that lack of long speed. Like, if he bites on the move, it's going to be, like, seven yards of separation. It's not going to be close. He's not somebody that you're leaving on an island with Will Fuller and saying, okay, go cover him. Like, that's not (laughs) going to happen. not if you're smart. So, like, again, that's why he went in the fourth round. Like, you're, you're taking him because he's tough, smart, plays good in zone, special teamer, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, you're not taking him because he's great in man coverage. But because they took Henderson and then they took Scott, like, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. Yeah, what are they going to do with those guys? I had the same question writing up my notes. I was like, who are they going to be on defense? Because we know who they were. We know that uh, Jalen Ramsey kind of famously shot his way out of town because he couldn't play as much man as he wanted to. So are they switching to zone and and Henderson's going to fit in that system? Or are they going to kind of mix an even amount of man and zone, which they didn't really do. They definitely leaned more towards zone. It's just, it's a fascinating use case scenario of, so where are they going? And if you look at the sort of tea leaves in the draft, it looks like they're going to play more zone than man. Yeah, I... Again, it's it's another one of those picks where it's like, I like the player, but I don't I don't know what they're gonna do with him. Like this whole Jags draft is just like confusing. Let's wait and see. <laughs> yeah, it's very confusing to me. Um, like Shaq Quarterman, like in a vacuum, yeah, you know he's a plugger in the middle. He's your prototypical Mike linebacker. You want him playing inside the uh, inside the hashes and just destroying the run game. Not so much you know, making waves in coverage. Like, I'm, he's not going to be somebody that I'm going to put on, like, Christian McCaffrey and man no. or Alvin Kamara and man. <laughs> like, he's not that kind of guy. No. Um, but at the same time, they already have Miles Jack, Joe Schobert, and potentially Caleb Von Chase on at linebacker. So, um, and, and they ju- also just took Quincy Williams last year. So what are they doing with him? Yeah, if you go through the roster, that's the thing that struck me with Quarterman as I was, again, sort of figuring out, okay, who does he have to beat? Where does he fit? Is he backing somebody up? Is he replacing somebody that's going to be off contract next year? All those sort of roster building concerns. And Quarterman is that classic hitter between the hashes. He reminded me of a slightly less capable Denzel Perryman when I watched him. And I wasn't super high on Denzel Perryman. He's played pretty well in San Diego. Um, But Quarterman... San Diego? Uh, sorry, L.A. I mean, <laughs> he did play in San Diego. It's true. Yeah, technically correct. The best kind of correct. correct. Yes, uh, you're right though. L.A. Um, so I, you know, I was okay on his skills, but the thing that struck me about going through the Jags roster that again says, okay, what are they going to do with him? Is they have a lot of these ILB types on their roster. Quarterman makes six guys. None of them are like tremendous like yeah miles jack is there and for sure that's great um but the bottom four are guys that you probably haven't heard of but that's where they're gonna play if they're gonna play and so what are you doing going and getting another one right you're never gonna play more than two of those guys on pretty much any defense you run and more than likely you're gonna play one or quite frankly in a heavy passing league zero of those guys 
on a lot of plays. So what are you doing with six of them on your roster? Like at what point, like what coach has sway that you're ending up with a bunch of guys that are really good between the hashes as good, solid tacklers, because there's just not a tremendous need for those guys in the NFL. Now, maybe they're looking at Tennessee and saying, Hey, we got to have a bunch of pluggers that can stand in there and make tackles against Tennessee's run game. Possibly, but six of them, like four is two with two good backups. Um, so maybe they think, you know, Quarterman is better than three of those other guys, maybe, and he's one of their top backups. I don't know. Um, maybe it's just it a fascinating thing. Chason's going to be an edge, and that they're. I, it could be, could be. I mean, Again, they uh, haven't figured that out either. So, um, back to a guy that we actually liked a little bit more, Daniel Thomas. Uh, I really like the way that he moved in combine drills. I had seen him sort of tangentially because I was watching Cam Dantzler and Igbenogany and Javaris Davis and Denson, and I saw Thomas by association, which is pretty crazy that the basically the entire Auburn secondary ended up in the NFL. And it's pretty crazy yeah. that nobody brings up Auburn in the sort of who's the DBU discussions, but literally they just put five guys from one class in the NFL. Their entire secondary is now in the NFL. Um, but I like the way he moved the combine. So I went back and looked at him and I thought, eh, this is a guy that you can take later round, which is exactly what they did. That gives you some of that flexibility of, Hey, you can bring him down. You can play a little bit of slot. He can play a little bit of sort of heavy or strong safety. His coverage is pretty good. He's fluid. Um, not a bad guy to have in your secondary, a sort of Swiss army knife that can play a little bit of everything. We talked about positionless defense. I thought Denson had some of that potential. Um, and certainly, you know, moves well enough to play special teams. Um, if he played at Auburn, you know, he's physical. <laughs> Auburn doesn't do not physical. Um, so not a bad get. What'd you think about Daniel Thomas? Yeah. Uh, he kind of reminded me of, in terms of like other guys in this class that are, are similar, like a diet version of uh, Kayvon Wallace from Clemson. You know, it's uh, very good yeah, movement skills. Would, yeah, and a light not, version. Not sure. super <laughs> big, not super big, but great, great hips, great feet. Um, not great long speed, but like short area explosiveness. Um, I think he can play either deep or he can play in the nickel. Again, I, I really like his movement skills other than long speed. Um, you know, just really, really intriguing, versatile kind of, not even safety, not even corner, just straight up DB. Yeah, DB, that DB designation you see on, on teams' websites, like he earns that one. Yeah, and so I, I am very curious to see if he is a corner, if he is a safety, because he can do both. Um, the only thing that I don't think he can do is like be like a pure center fielder. Yeah, free safety. I, I, don't, I, I don't wouldn't think he has the there. range for that but everything else like even though he's not super big like i even think he's a good enough guy to be like a a strong safety where you know he's your force player against the run you know protecting cj henderson from himself you know like (laughs) (laughs) like, i I think he can even do that so i (sighs) okay that got me that was good (laughs) you know i uh so i'm not quite sure where they're gonna put him but i know he's a good player i think we should just have t-shirts for the Jacksonville, to just say Jacksonville draft 2020. I'm not really sure where they're going to put him. <laughs> oh, anyways, one guy I'm really sure we know where they're going to put him. Colin Johnson, solidly yeah. in round five, is a great get. He's a huge target. Colin Johnson, wide receiver out of Texas. He's 6'5". 
He's a decent, if unconventional, route runner. He's got some got some stuff we'll talk about with his route running. He's got good moves and feet for a guy 6'5". He's going to need to expand his route tree a little bit, and he's going to have to work on his releases. Rookie receivers, it's always about releases, and his releases are not great. He needs to get faster with his releases. But right away, he's going to contribute along the sideline and in the red zone. He's a good, very good, 50-50 ball, back shoulder, contested catch receiver. Like, you throw that ball to him, he catches it more often than not. He wins those balls much more than 50% of the time. Literally, if you draw a box five yards wide that is bordered on one side by the sideline and extend it from wherever the line of scrimmage is to the to the end zone, that's Colin Johnson territory. Like, you can throw him the ball in that box, and he's going to win a lot. So they're going to start this guy. Well, not start this guy necessarily, but they're going to play this guy outside. Um, and in the red zone, he can and does work the middle of the end zone in the red zone. But generally between the 20s, this guy is in that box, five yards from the sideline and down as deep as you want to toss it to him. Um, I think he's a great, great grab uh, in round five. Yeah, he kind of fills a, an interesting role that I just don't think they had filled before that. You know, they I think they had some really good deep threats on the team. You know, DJ Chark, great deep threat, D.D. Westbrook. Um, he can work you deep or, you know, you can kind of be a yak guy for you. Um, you know, but I don't think they really had that kind of big dominant physical boundary receiver where it's like, Hey, I'm going to throw a back shoulder fade and they know it's coming. Go win anyway. You know, they, they didn't really have somebody that could do that, uh, before Colin Johnson, at least not as well as Colin Johnson. Does he go deep as well and track the ball deep as well as Chark? No. Um, is he as good of a route runner, um, as really anybody else on the roster? No. Um, is he as tough over the middle as Keelan Cole or have as good as hands as Keelan Cole? No, but I think just in that, as you said, in that one role of like, hey, we're inside the 25 yard line. They know what play is coming. We still need you to go win and execute it. Yeah, he's going to be that kind of guy for them. And I don't think he's going to make very many catches inside the numbers, period. But I think having that kind of presence um you know, for a young quarterback like Gardner Minshew, where reliably you can win on contested catches, where, you know, they're dropping a guy in the box, it's single high coverage, you have man-to-man outside, like the world's your oyster, you can put it anywhere you want to, and you're literally just reading the leverage of Johnson, go make a play. Like, those kinds of throws were desperately lacking in Jacksonville's offense last year. So, again, a really good fit for what they need, out of a receiving core that I think is better than people think and more well-rounded than people think now more than ever. But uh, that was one of the picks that I really, really like for them mainly just because it's a role that we can actually project. Like we, like you said, we we (laughs) We know what he's going to be doing. No. uh, If you look at what they've done in terms of what they had and what they've added again, back to that stable concept, like you got Chark, Conley, Westbrook, Chenault, and Johnson, if you line up in five wide with Minshew pulling the trigger in his classic sort of, you know, where he's comfortable, right? That air raid, get the snap, pick it, and chuck it, you know, that's a lot of options that could produce some pretty good results. And a lot of different skill sets. Yep. Very varied, right? You've rounded out the stable. None of them are like each other. No, the closest to are Chark and Conley, but Chark's better than Conley. So, and Westbrook, like you said, is he can go deep, but it's typically deep over the middle. He's not necessarily, 
he can double move the boundary, but um, again, it's that short middle zone to, okay, if I'm going to go, you know, down and run middle post, like that's a Westbrook route that I see him run pretty effectively. And again, that's not going to get in Colin Johnson's way because Colin Johnson's going to be over by the boundary. So it's, it is an interesting kind of layering concept to a receiving core that I think looks a lot better after the draft, um, even though it wasn't bad before, but they've added things they didn't have. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have much of an opinion on any of their last three picks between Luton, uh, Tyler Davis, I did not watch, and uh, Chris Claybrooks, the corner from Memphis, I did not watch either. Yeah. So the floor is yours for any of those guys. <laughs> uh, Luton's the only guy I watched. Uh, again, Luton became a darling out of Oregon State as kind of a late-round developmental quarterback. Um, I can see him becoming a long-term NFL clipboard holder, and I don't say that in a bad way. Um, the NFL is short on quarterback talent, kind of like it's short on offensive tackle talent. And quite frankly, um, if he grasps the playbook pretty quickly, puts up some good exhibition footage, I can see him sticking around for five to eight years, probably with a variety of teams, not with the same team necessarily. He throws a very pretty classic ball over the top delivery from a tall guy with a solid base. He's got pretty decent accuracy. Um, you know, one of his receivers got drafted. Uh, we've already covered him in one of our podcasts. Uh, so it's just, he's a sort of classic. I look like a quarterback. I play pretty much like the quarterback you expect. I'm going to stand in the pocket a lot. Don't have a ton of mobility, but I'm a, a big, tall drop back passer with a good over the top delivery and decent accuracy. Those guys, you know, they stay employed for a while, but it's time we need to talk about houston i feel like i feel like the dad here i'm like brett we need to talk it's about houston why 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 are you trading now don't start there don't start there let's just focus on the draft I know we could bring but, up, but old that's part. Wounds. That's part of it. That's oh, part of course, of it it's we, part of it. We didn't have a first round pick because they traded it for a second, and then used their other second round pick to get Brandon Cooks. Yes, yes. Like that. That's part of our draft. Is yeah. Is a second round pick on Brandon Cooks, who over the last three years averages less than sixty yards a game. I know it's that, it's, that's that's it's, what we spent our second round pick it's on. It's not really like getting Stefan Diggs for a first, is it? Or Denzel Mims for a second? Oh well, yeah, if you want to go there. Anyways, let's like, talk about oh. the guys they did pick because we could talk God. about Bill O'Brien's GMing, and I put that in air quotes, GMing or lack thereof, for a long time, and that could be its very own and interesting podcast, and I'm sure there'll be some requests for that on, on YouTube and in our apple podcast people just want to see me drink myself to death they well they do i don't so let's talk about (laughs) something you're happy about um round two pick 40 ross blacklock and yes we're calling him ross not justin uh this time and he deserves it the dt out of tcu um player that i got more excited about in the process but um Go ahead and take the floor on Ross and and let me know what you think of not only the player, but also his fit with Houston. Yeah, he's he is the best part of our offseason of of every move the Texans have made in free agency or in the draft. Ross Blacklock was the best move they made. I don't disagree um, with that. That's yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I no, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean he's we had a huge need at interior defensive lineman. 
because we lost DJ Reader tragically to the Bengals. Uh, <laughs> tragically. Well, tragically for us. Uh, I great know. for DJ. I know. It's oh, just funny. God. Don't don't get me started. <laughs> so I mean, we were staring down the barrel of having next to JJ Watt, Eddie Vanderdose, and Angelo Blackson. As, well, Vanderdose, I kind of like Blackson. Oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, and Charles Amenahu, really good as a rookie. He has a role there. He was kind of like the replacement for Jadavian Clowney in the sense that they would move Clowney all over the place, place him five, place him three, place him linebacker. Like Amenahu was literally all over the line. Uh, but he's not really like a dedicated nose. He's not a dedicated three. You know, they needed somebody to fill that role, especially because Reader was gone. And Reader's one of the best defensive tackles, period, in the NFL. Uh, Blacklock, I think, is a phenomenal talent. Uh, much smaller than DJ was. He's about 290. DJ was 315, 320, somewhere around there. So different kind of player. But Ross, he punches so much above his weight class. Really, really strong. Exceptionally quick. Um, he, You know that pair of DTs that came out of Florida State um, a while back? It was Eddie Goldman and Timmy Jernigan. Yeah, it, I've heard of Eddie Goldman, class. strangely. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you have. Uh, he he kind of reminds me of like a mix between them, but but twitchier and more fluid. Um, but in terms of like, hey, he can play a little bit of cock nose for you and just anchor down. Um, he can two gap for you. He can penetrate. Like he's he's kind of the best of both of those guys, but in an even more athletic package. Yeah, and, and I know that doesn't no, sound. No, it does. I, I get you know? <laughs> it because of my opinion of Blacklock. Like, I think he's a stud. Like when I watched him the first time, I watched him back to back with Justin Madubuke from Texas A&M, and I thought, oh, these guys are kind of similar. And then I watched them both again, and my second watching of him pre-draft really solidified my opinion of Blacklock as a two-way wrecker on defense. Like he's physical, he's very strong. Uh, like you said, punches above his weight. He's not uh, a particularly weighty guy, but he's a very strong guy. He's physical. He's fast. He's aggressive. He plays with power against the run. We talked about setting a hard edge. He absolutely can do that. But if you give him a gap, he can close against the pass better than a lot of his draft mates uh, from this class uh, that share his position really like his game. And, um, you know, we were both on the pre-draft live stream that we did for bootleg waiting, uh, sometimes maybe with bated breath for the first pick that Houston was going to make. And they made the pick of Blacklock. And I was like, wow, I don't hate it. That's really actually pretty good. You know, it's a good yeah. need. It's a good value. That's a good player. Like, hey, you know, you don't get to be disappointed about this one. I was almost sad for you because I knew you were sort of prepping to be absolutely devastated by it. And, you know, and we didn't take Mims, who was really who I wanted the most, but if there was one player that isn't named Denzel Mims that I would be okay with at pick 40, guess what? It's Ross Blacklock. <laughs> like, yeah, I was no, totally he's a cool very good get. He balances out that interior offensive line, certainly gives you more talent than just about anybody else that's sitting there. Um, and I think he's going to be a really, really solid player for the Texans. And at pick 40, that's a, that's a great get. Now, uh, next round, round three, pick 90, Jonathan Grenard. They list him as a linebacker out of Florida, but he truly played edge there or really DE for Florida. Um, what are your thoughts on Grenard? So there is nobody last year in college football that was better at getting to the quarterback 
when nobody blocked him than Jonathan Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is the biggest backhanded compliment, double-handed backhanded slap I've heard. Um, and I, you're not I think wrong. he's a freaking ninja because nobody knew he was there. They just let him go. Yeah, there are. You're right. There are a lot of plays dotting his tape where it, you know. And I had this is the thing in pre-draft work. I had people send me those plays and say, "Look at this," and I'm like. Nobody blocked him. Like, you could run to the quarterback in that case. Like, nobody touched him. They devoted no one. No chip block, no tight end, no running back. Like, literally, I'm with you. They just forgot he was there, and he goes and obliterates the poor quarterback. And I'm like, eh, okay. Like, I'm not going to hold it against Grenard, but at the same time, I'm not really giving him credit for it either because he literally made no moves, got up off the snap, and hustled and hit a guy like that's a bag drill yeah i mean he's a good run defender and he plays with good effort but uh, i just i every time like every single draft class has that guy who's like the king of the unblocked highlight (laughs) that everybody gets super hyped about yeah and and they burn us every year yeah. Every he, year. So, you know, it's a third-round pick. Yeah. He was my less favorite of the two Florida rushers. I like Jabari Zuniga a bit better. He was less flashy, but I thought more functional. Um, oh, yeah. Gernard's great. first step is decent, but it's not great. He's okay in coverage, but he really is a going-forward guy, not a guy you want dropping back. He did drop back a little bit at Florida, but it wasn't terrible pretty. Um, when he wins, and make a note of this, Texan fans, it is with one move. When it is against, not air, when he is playing against another player that is, you know, dutifully committed to keeping him from getting to the quarterback, he will win with one move. And this move came up like eight times in two games that I did of Jonathan Grenard. And it is the double hand swipe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he combos it with a dip, but this is his signature jam. The ham swipe is Grenard's moneymaker. He has a decent inside counter. He has average ball awareness against the run, but when you see him win to the outside on a pass rush, I almost guarantee a hand swipe will be involved. It is his go-to, and it is the one that gets him around the edge. Now, it is a bit of a hand swipe, and sometimes he'll get that interior shoulder dip to make it a little bit more effective, but it's literally just take both hands and slap away both offensive tackle hands and then see if you can get your body around. And when he wins a pass rush, Texans, I bet there'll be a hand swipe involved. You know who went 57 picks after Jonathan Grenard? And this is going to break your heart. Oh, Not as it, much as it broke mine. Is it but, Khalid Kareem? Yep. Yeah, Khalid Kareem I would take in a heartbeat over Grenard. I actually think Jabari Zuniga and Khalid Kareem are a bit closer, um, but I would take Khalid Kareem as, again, a sort of... Can you imagine Kareem and Blacklock on the same line? Like, oh, they have a You're lot, killing me. Yeah, they have a lot of the oh. same strengths, and if you put them on the same side, um, they're going to be a problem. Like, those guys no. might not make the play, but they're going to crack open so many openings that somebody else on the defense is going to make the play because they can really cause some havoc, both of them. So, yeah. They would have given Amenahu five sacks just from that. Yeah, no, Amenahu <laughs> would be dealing with Grenard coverage, which is, hey, there's nobody here. I can hit the quarterback. <laughs> uh, so moving on to Charlie Heck, uh, the OT from North Carolina, who we got to see. He was a late ad at the Senior Bowl, so he showed up a day late. Um 
He is the son of Andy Heck, uh, the Seahawk and the Bear offensive lineman, long time. Uh, and Heck is a massive human being. He is 6'8", <laughs> 315, completely rocked. Got to see him in weigh-ins and thought, man, there's not an ounce of fat on that guy. He is amazingly in shape. And look, his dad was a pro for many years. I think he's got the ability, again, to be a very solid swing tackle. On the first day of Senior Bowl practices, after flying in late, he got himself handed lunch several times by defenders. I was most interested to see what happened on the day after that, when he got a chance to go back to the hotel room, maybe watch the tape, do some interviews with teams, kind of maybe call his dad and say, hey, this happened today. What do I do? Maybe called his position coach. I don't know. His, his dad is the Chiefs offensive line coach, by the way. Yeah. Like, that's what Andy's doing now. Right. You know, so, she's... you know, he's got a really good source there for multiple yeah. reasons. <laughs> and I really wanted to see, hey, does he just continue to kind of look outclassed or does he kind of solid up? not really get his name called for any bad reasons on the next day. And that's exactly what happened for the next two days is he righted the ship. He looked a lot more steady. And I thought, that's a guy you can plug in for a long time and swing tackle. He's got the tools. He's certainly athletic. He's got the frame for it for sure. And if he's one of those guys that makes a mistake once and doesn't make it again, that is the sort of a prototypical swing tackle in the NFL. And I, I like the fact that they got heck in the fourth. Yeah, he um he, you really hope that he can turn into like a Goster chairless, you know, where not super great get off, not super great bend, but he's so long mm. that if he can just learn how to use his hands and place his hands correctly, you know, using independent hand pass pro, not just lunging with with a double punch, but like actually being able to, you know, punch right, punch left, punch right, punch left, you know, actually control a guy. Yeah. You know, if you if you learn how to use your hands when you have that kind of size and length, you don't need to be able to do a whole lot else. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's what Gosler Charles did, you know, not super quick, not super bendy, but really long, really strong, really good hand placement. And and he didn't give up a whole lot of sacks, you know, during his heyday. Um, and I, I think he can be that kind of guy. And as, as we've said many times before, there's not a whole lot of good swing tackles in the NFL because most of the good ones end up starting somewhere. So I don't expect Heck to start, um, you know, in front of obviously Laramie Tunsil and in front of uh, Taylor, who they just took in the first round last year, who had a pretty good rookie campaign before injuries or not Taylor, uh, Titus Howard. Um, I was thinking of the Jags yep. guy who I initially wanted, but then we took Titus Howard. But anyway, uh, Howard had a pretty good rookie year before, you know, injuries kind of racked up for him. But I think Heck tools-wise, is better than Roderick Johnson and can potentially be their swing tackle as a rookie over Roderick Johnson. And the Texans have a horrible habit of getting injured at tackle. You know, I mentioned Howard got banged up last year. Tunsil got banged up but played through it, but he was not healthy for a good chunk of the year. Um, I think at one point, at least four of their five offensive linemen were hurt. So, you know, Houston has a long and storied tradition of never being fully healthy on the offensive line. So you can really never have enough of them. And to get a guy as talented as heck, again, not super explosive, not super bendy, but physically talented with length and strength, um, getting him to be a swing tackle of the future for the next at least four years, I think can be immensely valuable. And uh, I'm sure Deshaun appreciates it. 
Yeah, he better. <laughs> I think he will. <laughs> uh, the next guy, also in round four, 141, a guy I watched late in the process, John Reed, cornerback from Penn State. Now, we know Bill O'Brien's got Penn State connections. John Reed's a guy that got hurt and came back, um, much like Josiah Scott that we talked about, but completely different corner. Um, more physically dominant, a little bit under six foot, rocked up very solidly built and uses it he is a missile when he comes up he likes to hit he knows how to tackle not just hit he can wrap up very good break on the ball when he puts his foot in the ground um i like reed if reed wasn't injured i think he would have gone a lot higher yeah i think he's immediately probably the most natural fit at nickel on the whole team because when you look at all the other corners they have um, they're kind of stockpiling, weirdly enough, a lot of like boundary man corners. It's almost like the opposite problem of Chicago where they have a million nickels, but not a whole lot of boundary guys. Like they were pretty thin going into the, into the draft. It was Kyle and then they took Jalen and, and like, that was like all they had, um, yeah. and, but where they had five nickels, whereas Houston's kind of the opposite. You know, they had Gary and Conley boundary press man corner. Uh, they had Bradley Roby boundary, uh, boundary corner there, um, they had uh, uh, Lonnie Johnson again, boundary corner. Philip yeah, Gaines, boundary, boundary corner. Like they, they didn't have any like pure nickels other than Vernon Hargraves, who isn't that good. <laughs> so uh, I think having John Reed, who has the quickness, um, certainly kind of prototypical nickel build. Oh, yeah. You know, not the biggest guy, but I mean, just uses every ounce. Yeah, but he, I mean, his feet are pistons. Like they are just like he is so quick in the lower half it's it's really just fun to watch especially like hyper aggressive oh yeah oh yeah he's he's one of those guys where again i'm never playing him on the boundary because the long speed and the size they don't really project to that but if he's just playing inside man like he could he could be on this team for a long long time just because of how explosive he is how um i'll say eager to ruin people's annihilate day people. he is yeah. <laughs> yeah. eager to annihilate yeah that's another great t-shirt uh, you know, he'll, uh, he'll play special teams no like, for sure he's he's a tough explosive I, you know, kid I, I said that uh i was looking at his teammate right earlier robert windsor and and looking for a sort of a late round steal i came to read about the same time in the process and i thought okay here's another penn state guy everybody's saying he's really good blah 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 i was like turn on the tape i was like oh wait a minute he is really yeah. good. Like this guy, this guy's got it. So I was pretty excited to see him end up uh, in Houston. And again, uh, not that many people on the roster in front of him that have a clear talent gap, uh, you know, and look, nickel is the new base. Uh, Dime is played a lot more often than it used to be. I think he gets on the field early and often. Um, the last guy, round five pick 171 isaiah coulter wide receiver rhode island did not watch him pre-draft went back uh for this podcast watched him again um coulter is a big guy 6'3 6'4 uh 6'3 i think has traits uh but his releases and routes need work he struggles to create separation and rookie receivers who do that don't typically find the field very quickly his blocking has a lot of effort but it needs some technique help to catch up uh again that's something that's coachable great leaping ability hands are okay (laughs) my notes also say poor bastard lined up farther away from his QB than he could actually throw it on at least half of his plays. Uh, the Rhode (laughs) Island quarterback could not string a deep out for 
anything. Not of his life depended on it. So it's really tough to sort of grade Coulter's production based on the fact that um, the offense suited him, but the the playmaker quarterback was not really capable of getting him the ball. He's raw right now. He's a rangely athlete playing wide receiver. Um, he needs some focus. Uh, he might get that. I really think he's sort of destined for the practice squad, but quick note for everybody that stayed to the end of the podcast, little deep draft 2021 nugget. His teammate, Aaron Parker, the other wide receiver at Rhode Island, is going to get drafted higher than Coulter did. He is a guy that um, kept stealing reps as I was watching Coulter. I kept being like, is he number six or number eight? Like, who is that guy? <laughs> and so I went and looked him up. Aaron Parker's a senior this year at Rhode Island. Um, he is not quite as athletic, but he is as big. He's also 6'3". Works the middle a whole lot better. His hands are a whole lot better. His routes are a whole lot better. So I think Aaron Parker is going to be the the superior uh, Rhode Island wide receiver. Never thought I'd utter that phrase on this podcast. But um yeah, that pretty much wraps up the AFC South. That's a lot of guys. Um, no surprise, we went long again, Brett. It's weird. Shocker. I, I know. know. I'm probably going to end up cutting this down in post because, God forbid, nobody wants to hear us talk for two hours about the AFC South. But they might do it if it's an hour and a half. So I'll probably cut this down a little bit. There you go. Uh, chop, chop. Yeah, but, man, man, it's a uh, oh, rough year to be a Texans fan. Um all I can hope for is that Deshaun does Deshaun things and uh, wills us to victory yet again, because that's kind of all we can really rely on. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this team outside of outside of Deshaun, JJ, and that's about it. But uh, hey, whatever. We're Texans fans. We're not meant to be happy. It's just it's not in the cards for us. But yeah, Colts fans, you should be excited. Tennessee fans, you should be excited. Jags fans, um, once we figure out exactly where all these guys are going to play, you may or may not be excited, but uh, it's not a bad class, just a confusing one. But So overall, I think everybody in the South did well. Um, Houston didn't have a lot of, whole lot of picks, but I think we did okay with them. Um, but really, I think clearly the best classes were Indy and were Tennessee. And when you combine the fact that they also have pretty strong rosters as it is and better coaching staffs and better front offices than Houston – uh yeah things are looking kind of bleak for us in 2020 but um any closing thoughts on the south for you uh i liked a lot of the players we followed a lot of these players really closely i liked the fits especially tennessee in terms of just driving the draft to fit it just sort of putting fit i don't want to say above all else but like right up there is sort of filter number one does this guy fit our system and i know that sounds incredibly simplistic but you'd be surprised there's a lot of teams that for one reason or another don't do that um so really interested to see the battles as always we talked about some great corners we talked about some great wide receivers we talked about some decent offensive linemen some decent defensive linemen seeing those guys go against each other twice a year is always going to be fascinating but uh we will be back fairly soon we are going to wrap up the other south the nfc south and then move out west a lot of you have been requesting uh that we do either the afc or the nfc west those will be our two closing categories for this uh eight-part series of all the division draft recaps um but yeah that's what we've got going on for now yep so we'll be back in a few days with that and uh yeah thanks for listening and we'll see you later